source to pay, RFI, RFP, procure to pay, goods receipt, accounts payable. It's easy to get lost in procurement jargon, but at the end of the day, it's all just about buying better. And that's what I try to help you with here at Your Procurement. thing is, it's probably the first and the last time in their life that they will implement a source-to-pay system, or maybe they will do it twice, right? But we've done that, or when I say we, the system integrators, we've done that a thousand of times. Mm. So we know exactly the pitfalls, we know exactly where to go, where not to go, how to drive the project faster and with more efficiency. Welcome to this episode of Pure Procurement, where we demystify procurement and show you how it can be a value creator for your business. Today, I'll be exploring critical success factors of source-to-pay suite implementations and discussing the best ways to ensure you have them covered. Whether you're just starting to think about a source-to-pay implementation or you're in the middle of deployment, hopefully today's episode will help your implementation go a little bit smoother. To help me discuss this subject, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Thierry Jeffrey, Vice President for the North American Market and Global Chief Marketing Officer of Fluxim, a global leader in source-to-pay consulting services. Thierry's been working in the procurement space for over 10 years in various roles with both software providers and consulting firms. In that time, he's held delivery, sales, leadership, and product development roles, and recently was named to the 2018 Pros to Know list by Supply and Demand Chain Executive Magazine. To structure our discussion, what I did is list out the main 10 factors that I think you should be considering during your source-to-pay implementation if you want to make sure you're successful. I went through this list with Thierry to get his thoughts. And if you're a procurement nerd, you know how hard it is to come by other procurement nerds, so I'm sure you'll notice my excitement as we get into the weeds on this list. He's someone I love talking procurement with, and I'm sure you'll also appreciate his insights. So without further ado, enjoy the discussion, and I'll catch you again at the end of the episode. So thanks, Thierry, for joining me. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Joel. It's a pleasure to share that session with you. Absolutely. And so for, for our audience out there, um, I thought it would be interesting to discuss the critical success factors of, of source-to-pay implementations. I know you're seeing a lot of organizations where it's something that, that's on their mind or something they're going through or just have just gone through, right, and are, are trying to do lessons learned and figure out how they, they could approach next waves or next deployments in a better fashion. So I thought it'd be, it'd be interesting to, to get your thoughts on, on those critical success factors and, and how, how customers, clients, uh, people that are embarking on this source-to-pay journey can do, it, can do so in the best way possible, right? So that being said, I, I prepared a little list of, of subjects that we could go over. The first one for me was uh, system selection, right? So the fit with your back-end system, making sure you're, you're choosing the right tool because there's a whole swath of tools out there, whether it be... You know, SAP Ariba, Evalua, Coupa, the, the leading brands, right? Or, or even smaller pure play uh, or newer solutions, right? Cloud on-premise, et cetera. So what, do you th- what are your thoughts on choosing the solution? Are they all the same or, or are there very big differences between the providers today? So that, that, that's a really good question. I, I would say um, the fit with the backend system is no longer an issue right now. I think whether you select one of the top providers that you've mentioned, like Ariba, Coupa, Ivoa, Bazwer, Zykos, they've all they've all got connection points and integration points that are easy to plug with the main ERP that you have on the market right now, SAP, Oracle, GDE, PeopleSoft. We've seen that it's pretty easy to integrate them. Um, 
if you have a kind of an exotic uh, ERP system, and I've seen that on a couple of projects, then you should probably have a, a deeper look at the integration capability of the solution. But if you're using one of the major ERPs, all of this other markets, so leading market solution will be probably fit with your backend systems. So when you say exotic, you mean like more of a niche, a niche yeah. system, or niche systems like for some specific man verticals like manufacturing okay. or mining, or you know sometimes you have like uh, more specific ERPs. Um, definitely, that could be an issue uh, for the connectivity. So maybe look at the more flexible in terms of integration toolbox. Um, and on the um, functionality side, the system selection today, I, I really feel there is a um, I mean, all the market leaders are strong for sure. They wouldn't they wouldn't be there if they weren't if they were not. But you have a lot of sources of information now on the web that you can use, like the Gartner Magic Quadrant, the Forester Wave, the uh, uh, Solution Map from Spain Matters as well. So I would definitely advise not to waste time on consulting like. 20 vendors on the market doing an RFI and an RFP with everybody and yeah. just focusing on the the one that are the strongest on the part of the source to pay process that you want to cover but also think about the next step in yeah. terms of deployment of the solution because you may want to start with a P2P to automate the transactional part but after that you're going to have appetite for uh, contract management and then spend analytics. So yeah. maybe considering the end-to-end -end solution is definitely something uh, that should be a critter of selection. Okay, and and from a functionality perspective, they all have the same velocity as well, like uh, in terms of road mapping and and getting to, you know, like things that to me are still in proof of concept mode, like uh, artificial intelligence integrated into procurement processes yeah. or. RPA or robotic product process automation. Uh, From what I've seen today, everybody is just now at a at a big turn, uh, trying to find where artificial intelligence could bring real value. Not only a buzzword on the on the on the slides uh, uh, of the uh, product roadmap, but yeah. real value for the um, for the for the buyers. Uh, so guided buying, uh, virtual assistant, or uh, uh, predictive analytics or all those features. From from what I've seen, um, I don't feel there is one solution that is really ahead of the others today yeah. uh, on that specific field of like let's say emerging technologies. So um, definitely there are some niche players that could be add-ons to those big source-to-pay uh, to those big source-to-pay. Uh, um, systems but i don't i feel we're really at the beginning of a new era of the source to pay solutions okay. uh, and just to finish on that day i think that an important thing to look at for the solution checks the solution selection is the flexibility you want to have on your solution if you want an out-of-the-box solution that comes with best practices embedded or if you want something that is really flexible, that you can really tailor to specific process because you have a lot of exception in your processes, yeah. that could really make the difference between the different providers that I know. Okay, and then, and then you feel that those exceptions are value add for your business, right? Because you could also say, well, we're taking out all those exceptions, right? I would love that. <laughs> yeah, I would love that, and that's always the, the the discussion we have with clients at the very beginning of the project. We want out of the box. We want 
um, best practices yeah. from your experience. We won't manage exceptions. And then you go to the design sessions and we realize that the exceptions in the real life are m sometimes more important than expected. Yeah, and more difficult to get to get rid of, right? Yeah. Um, okay, uh, awesome. And, and then that kind of leads me to the, the next uh, success factor, which is really uh, choice of partner, right? So you, you just mentioned when we get into when we get into a project with with customers or clients, and uh, we start discussing that, right? Uh, different vendors will have, or different soft, uh, consulting firms will have different approaches, right? So um, how do you, how would you suggest going about selection of partner, or, or if it, uh, it's even important at all, right? Could I do this without a partner? Uh, implement this, these solutions. So first. First thing, the best choice will be to choose Fluxim, for sure, as yeah. a partner. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but the, I think the selection of the partner is critical, for sure. Um, you must select a partner that is able to really be the bridge between the business and the solution. So the business requirement and the, the capabilities of the solution. So that doesn't mean you need to, I mean, because you, on the market you can find different kind of, of, of system integrators. You can find the pure technical implementation partners who can do like deep configuration, integration interfaces with your backend and everything, yeah. but also the business consulting side of things. And both shouldn't be disconnected and it should be actually the same partner doing both um, just to avoid um, Games. <laughs> yeah, let's call it games uh, and, and politics and, 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 you know, we call it... Uh, complexity, a, right? Yeah. Added complexity, added management. Exactly. So having someone who can really extract the requirement from the business, transform it into a solution first, and then transforming that solution into a configuration is really the key for me. So each client should really look carefully at the system integrator that are on the market able to have the full set of skills for complete implementation. And that includes also all the professional services around technical integration, like change management, mm -hmm. uh, deployment strategy, training, whatever. Okay. And, and should, uh, should people consider going ahead and implementing this in-house, right? Directly with the software vendor? I've seen that a couple of times. Uh, the thing is, it's probably the first and the last time in their life that they will implement a source-to-pay system, or maybe they will do it twice, right? But we've done that, or when I say we, the system integrators, we've done that a thousand of times. Mm. So we know exactly the pitfalls, we know exactly where to go, where not to go, how to drive the project faster and with more efficiency. So definitely it will be more cost-effective to use an external system integrator that to do it internally with a software provider. Because if you look at the market right now, software providers get rid of their professional services. They, yeah, they, right. yeah. they are really using now only channels of partners to implement because they, they want to focus on their principal source of revenue, which is the SaaS fees. So definitely, I would recommend to use a, 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 a certified system integrator and yeah. not to do it uh, uh, internally. Yeah. Yeah, and I asked the question, you know, because I want your, your opinion, but I'm completely on the same page for that just because of, uh, well, kind of the discussion we're having today, right, which is critical success factors or, or different things that we've seen in the past. You know, I'd, I've often heard that an expert is someone who's made all the uh, the mistakes you can make in a very narrow field, right? So gaining 
that experience and that velocity, uh, like the word you used a bit earlier, faster uh, because you're using someone who their core business is implementing these systems is, is probably uh, for the best, right? If you, especially if you want to go in eyes wide open to the cost and what it'll actually cost you because otherwise it could be very, very different from what you initially planned. And you cannot discover sol the solution while, you, while you're implementing it, right? So you cannot just, you know, try some configuration and realize that this, there is an impact on another module that you're currently deploying as well. So you need to have all this architecture in mind and that I mean, a client can't learn that in, in two months, three months, or even six months. Yeah. You need an expert behind you that do that knowledge transfer with you. And and what we like to do uh, as a SIM integrator is to make the client, the client completely autonomous at the, at the end of the project and yeah. then give him all the knowledge that he needs to be completely autonomous on the configuration, the upgrades, and the, and the full life cycle of the, of the product. But the implementation project is too critical and too costly for mm -hmm. to, to do it internally, I think. Okay, cool. Fair enough. Um, all right, that leads us to, to our next point, which uh, was clear project objectives, right? So I think we touched on that a little bit. Um, but how, how important do you see it uh, to have clear project objectives and, and who should, should uh, be aware of those objectives going in to make sure that you have a successful project? And I think that's everybody agrees on the, on the importance of that, but nobody does it yeah. really because when you define an objective, that means you define also the KPIs to measure the success. I don't know any of the, of the uh, probably the last 15 clients that we've deployed that has clearly defined the KPIs to measure the success of the project at the end of the implementation to say, okay, this is exactly our business case, this is the objective we want to reach. And this is how we will measure it at the end to yeah. define if it's a success or not. So definitely, I think this is underestimated because usually people have the objective of deploying the solution, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we have a project. We want to deploy that solution. It's, it's live. Congratulations. But there's a return on investment that is expected. And sometimes there's a kind of a um, disappointment a couple of months or years after they go live because clients feel they don't have the full power that they have expected from that solution. Yeah. Maybe because they didn't define it, uh, what they were expecting at the very beginning. So mm. sometimes that takes another mini project or two other yeah. adjustment and okay, let's do it this way to finally get the, 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 the full ROI of the implementation of such a solution. Um, and about the scope, I would say, and that will come to another thing maybe that, that you've mentioned, uh, in your uh, in your agenda about the business process definition, but usually one of the major issues that I see in the preparation of a source-to-pay project is that people try to replicate the paper process that they have in the future solution. Yeah. Uh, there's a major step in between, that is to define the target processes before starting even the implementation project. And even if you don't know what solution you're going to select, yeah you should have defined your target processes, even if you need to fine-tune them once you know the capabilities of a solution that you've selected. But definitely trying to do exactly what you do today in an automated solution won't get you the results you expect. And it's funny you touch on, on both process and, um, and the, the objectives, right? Because I find those are two things where uh, in an implementation project with a, a partner, 
the focus and the spotlight will be on those two things during the implementation. But as soon as we go live, everybody acts like it's the project's done, right? It's yeah. finished. Pack up our bags, everybody goes. But to, to me, that's the first day. That's the first day of the new reality. That's the first day, the real first day of your project, even if it's been really hard to get to that yeah. first day, right? Sometimes. Um, but it's the first day of looking at, okay, let's start measuring those those uh, KPIs from a process perspective, even though you might have KPIs and objectives for the actual project and the cost and, and whatnot. Uh, but say you're, you have cost overruns or it costs you less to do the project. Well, uh, how does that ROI measure up, right? And, and what are we looking at? And, and how are we operationalizing the the monitoring of that the success of, of the use of that solution, right? Yeah. In our, in our strategy. And that that comes back to a discussion that we had offline, yeah. right? To some solutions today that can be complementary to such an implementation like uh, Silanis or Signavio. Yeah. Uh, we could. Uh, just for for folks on that are listening, I'll put the sh the links in the show notes. The, the yeah. Solutions. The, the solution allows uh, allow you to really have a clear vision of what you have implemented and what is your process in the real life with the solution that you have implemented. And sometimes you have big surprises when you try to uh, see exactly what are all the exceptions, the, the different cases that you never planned during your implementation project and see that finally you maybe have focused a lot of energy and time on things that are not really happening in real life. Yeah. So sometimes that gives you a really good feedback on all you drove your project. And and I think that uh, that leads us to a, a really good point, which we also discussed offline. And, and it's not on my list, but I'll bring it up now since we're touching on it, which is team selection, yeah. right? Uh, selecting your members in your team. And I find if you don't have the, those right members, then that's exactly what you'll be doing, right? You'll be creating a little bubble. Uh, where you know your project team has defined the reality of, of what they think goes on in the business and uh, have defined that in the process in the tool with with new processes and that may very well work 100% right yeah. but then when it hits the road on day 1 of your of your go live and you didn't have any maintenance technicians that were consulted in this project and yeah. they start using the system then it might go completely out of left field right yeah that's i've seen everything about that in, in all the projects that we've deployed. Uh, I've seen IT-led project. I think that's a common mistake. This is not an IT project. This is a business transformation project that should be led by the business. So the project team should be mostly composed of business uh, uh, stakeholders that we should represent all the different processes, organization, business unit that you have in your organization. That really can be different if you're talking to a very decentralized organization, we worked recently with a real estate company, which is really decentralized. Each property has its own you know, support functions and okay. management and everything. So that means they have also their own procurement uh, for like uh, janitor or janitor uh, services or, yeah. or um, uh, snow removing. Office supplies or, probably. Yeah, even office supplies. So, um, when you implement a source-to-pay solution for that kind of, of, of company, then that means you need to have a lot of representatives from the property management on the field that should be involved because everybody has good ideas to share with the others. Yeah. But that will also lead to some change management for the others. So building your project team, and if, if procurement is centralized, that makes it really more, really easier. Uh, but you know, I, I had the, uh, the issue recently, I can tell you a story about it, a, a project that we 
designed with the whole procurement team and everybody was aligned on the project and when we came to the UAT phase then some folks from another country were brought and they realized their contract management process was completely different from what we have designed. Yeah. But we were at the UAT phase, so no time to reopen the design doc, right? right, right. Uh, we need to move forward. But these people were left on the side, so uh, what should we do now? So selecting the right people as part of the design sessions is the key. And as you mentioned, having also the right uh, technical skills also around the table for yeah. all the integration part is also really important. And I'd be curious uh, to hear if you've had any experience, and I know it's kind of going off track, but uh, in, in a decentralized context, right, with a big business where I might have, you know, 20, 30, 100 different business units that have variations in their process for very good reasons, uh, what what kind of approach can I take with that mass of people to to come to a process uh, like that without you know having uh, using a traditional design session where I have those hundred people sitting in a room because then you're not getting anything done right? So in that case, and we did that actually for a client in the past. You need a first preparation phase before the design session when you where you take your um, your backpack and go to see probably internally some some business internal business analysts should do that and see all the different business units and talk to them and sit with them and interview them and collect their actual requirement processes uh, their, their pain points also as well and and do an analysis of that and propose a um, a common approach that will be discussed during the design session that could probably satisfy 80% of the requirement that they have on the field. Yeah. But that there is a preparation work to do to centralize, to to listen to the people on the field because they have actually the right yeah. vision of what is happening in procurement. So you should definitely start by listening to them and collecting that. And, and because I've seen some people doing that the other way. Fit uh, the standard type uh, Yeah, we're going to select a solution. We're going to impose centralized process. Yeah through that solution and people will be uh, uh, will have to enforce that yeah. and that doesn't work. I find it, it, that can only work if there's zero tasks that are value add for that industry or for that yeah. specific business unit or geography that are being executed in that process, right? Yeah. But that's never the case. No, right? never. Yeah. So in that case, what you get at the very end is that the adoption rate is really low of the solution and you don't get the benefits you were expected because yeah. nobody uses it. Or they use it like in a way you don't want them to use it. So right. Okay. Cool. Um, the next one, the next one we had, next point, critical success factor is, is taking a look at your deployment plan, right, and, and how we approach the rollout of a solution. Or, you know, to to name a few different approaches, not all of which I, I agree with, but big bang versus you know parallel, having parallel systems in in place for yeah. folks. Uh, uh, doing really a pilot with uh, scaled deployments. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on deployment plan when, when it comes to source-to-pay solutions, of course? So first of all, deployment plan shouldn't be discussed during the implementation. It should be discussed before the implementation because that also conditions who you're going to have around the table during the design right. phases, yep. who's going to be part of the UAT, and, and some of the strategic decisions it's going to take during the project will be defined by your deployment strategy. So that's part of the preparation work that you have to do before 
even the kickoff of the implementation project. In terms of uh, deployment strategy, I'm not a big fan of big bangs. I'm not a big, and I'm not a fan at all of parallel uh, implementation for sure. Um, we usually recommend, I mean, the pilot implementation is usually the one that works the best because it really allows you to do a crawl, walk, run deployment strategy. Yeah. Start small with quick wins. Let's implement sourcing, for example, sourcing module for uh, indirect procurement. That's pretty easy. It's a small group of people. I'm just taking a, 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 um, an example here of a, um, a, a that could fit to any company, but um, start resourcing for indirect procurement and then deploy it sequentially, you know, with other categories. Yeah. Uh, then implement contract, use legal department for that, involve them in the project. Um, and start with, I mean, don't try to cover all your processes at once because it's going to be a, a the chunk is going to be too big. Yeah. So, and usually, I mean, don't forget that the teams also have their daily job. Uh, they are not 100% dedicated to the project. So, um, it will be really a smoother implementation if you go by phases using a pilot, yeah. fine tuning it, then deploying. Uh, on their larger base and, and, and so on. I find it's, it's uh, I completely agree with you, by the way, because I, and the analogy I often use or often see used is, is a snowball versus a big rock, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if I do a snowball, which is a much smaller pilot, and then it gains steam and it gains weight, it's, it's going to be bigger and heavier than my rock, my big yeah. rock, uh, quite quickly, right? Yeah. Although it might not seem that way at the start. Whereas if I have a huge boulder that I need to, to push uh, then I'm going to need a lot more effort to do it up front. Uh, it's not going to carry its own weight, and and it might not even get bigger, right? To your uh, change management concerns at, at the end, because I'm going to have put so much effort in there, yeah. and I might not even have the the right requirements, right? And by doing that, you can also identify champions in the organization that are more likely to adopt the solution quickly, and then to spread the word toward the others who can be more. Uh, uh, reluctant at the very beginning to the adoption of such a solution or, you know, so that can also be a the deployment strategy is definitely part of your change management strategy as well. And so how uh, how do you see that working? And it's, I'm kind of going off on a, a tangent here as well, but how do you see that working in, um, in a, a business climate, which I perceive to be uh, a prisoner's dilemma amongst consulting firms, right? Where I have a I have a big client, they put out an RFP for a source-to-pay solution, and they're looking for the the lowest cost uh, bidder, right? In, mm -hmm. in, in many, many times, and that comes with having a deployment plan where I'm doing more more quickly, and I'm not necessarily burning steps, but um, trying to get to the end of my deployments uh, from 100% of the company of uh, the scope that I want to do the quickest way possible. Um, so how do you how do you see, um, is it just the clients that have to be smarter in how they approach the, the, the market? Or, because uh, I feel like it's a race to the bottom sometimes a little bit, right? Yeah, but usually that price constraint that you mentioned in the RFP yeah. step is usually a budget constraint that, that the procurement department has. Yeah. You know, yeah. to, they, they have a budget they can invest in the deployment of a solution. They have, uh, um, I mean, the implementation fees plus the stats fees for your one can be a huge investment sometimes for some organization that are right. that, that are not ready to, I mean, because procurement, and that's still the problem since the, uh, the, the beginning of times, yeah. procurement is not 
sales in yeah, an organization. Yeah. So procurement is a, um, even if it's not a, a cost center, but now we can imagine that procurement has become a profit center uh, for innovation, increasing margins and everything, but it's still procurement. Yeah. So we Much can't, like IT, right? Exactly. Like IT. It's a support function. So yeah. we can't invest two million in a solution that's going to automate procurement tasks. Even if you feel there's a business case, even if the ROI is on the table and everything, I think a lot of organizations are still a bit not ready to invest that much money. So definitely if it's a budget constraint, that comes back to the sequential implementation. Start yeah. small, but don't try to do 100% I mean, too quickly and... and um, so don't try to make it fit Yeah, it doesn't fit, right? Just start small. Yeah. Do quick wins. Prove the concept. I mean, that's exactly the case that I have with a client right now in Montreal where the CPO wants to prove to the CFO, who is actually his boss, that the solution is going to bring savings, uh, visibility, transparency, process, um, uh, harmonization. So we start with one module on, on half of the categories, and we deploy that in, in two months. And then the result is here, and then we can move forward with another module. We can probably unlock a bit more budget, and then we will go sequentially on next fiscal year, get a bit more budget. So maybe the implementation will take 18 months instead of three, but you will get a much higher ROI at the very end. Yeah, fair enough. So it's, I, I like that, right? Instead of going and applying for the full big budget up front and yep. transfer, transforming the whole company, going it step by step and... And uh, playing the, playing that game internally, right? Although yep. it might it might be more heavy from a budgetary uh, uh, application process perspective. I think yeah, you're probably you're probably right in terms of getting the best ROI at the end. Yeah, but that also allows you to get the benefits first before reinvesting money and deploying the other module, the other business units, and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can give you. I mean, that's a specific. We could do a, a full podcast. Yeah. On on <laughs> on that, and and how to measure the success. But if we talk about one specific module called the reverse auctions. Yep. yep. And we could do an hour on that. Yeah, for sourcing in, in yeah. the sourcing modules. Yeah. Implementing in the correct way reverse auction for any organization in Canada or in the U.S. could finance like 10 times the price of the implementation of the software by the savings that will be generated. Yeah. But you have to do it really carefully, choose the category, evaluate the, uh, the the readiness of the market and everything. So it's not something you can do like this. Yeah, I think you have to have your base in place already as exactly. well, right? So it's yeah. It's something you're making. You're making a simple solution a bit more complex and not doing it from the start. Exactly. But that could give you the full power of the solution and and pay like ten times the price you've yeah. invested. So. Fair enough. Yeah, I've seen it before. I've seen it once where we, we ran uh, reverse auctions and people were going crazy. Like suppliers were going crazy and they wanted to win the event and they went much lower than had they been in another uh, competitive scenario, right? Like an RFP yep. or anything like that. It was. It's pretty uh, pretty impressive because it, it becomes a game. <laughs> Actually, yeah. win. I've deployed that in, in Europe for a transportation company. They wanted to do a reverse auction each week, each Monday, on the fuel. So okay. they they use I mean, a big amount of fuel because they have, I don't know, many hundreds of trucks uh, in different countries in Europe. And each Monday, they were negotiating a new specific contract for one week, for the week after, with a, a specific uh, fuel provider. It was a couple of cents, that like one or two cents, yeah. on a on a 30 minute e auction every Monday, 
at the very end of the year, the savings realized just by this auction was about 15 million. It's crazy. Yeah. For a tool that they pay like 100K. Yeah. 15 million. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, I'll try to bring us back to uh, to our discussion here. We're getting sidetracked, but I'm sure sure we could uh, have more discussions later. Um, Okay. This is a big one for me. Uh, supplier enablement, right? So I think it, it kind of goes to, to um, similarly to how you deploy a system uh, and the modules, how you deploy supplier enablement or how you approach supplier enablement. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on how to do that correctly if, if I'm starting the, the journey, the S2P journey? So in, in most of the project I've seen, suppliers side is usually not really considered. We just focus on the procurement internal side and say, okay, suppliers, we'll see after, we'll we'll send them an email. Yeah. And, and so definitely su- supplier enablement or supplier activation should be considered as one of the, I, w- I will say one of the change management aspect of the project. So suppliers are probably the biggest population that is going to use that solution. Yeah. If you consider that, you're probably going to have like, I don't know, let's say an average organization, 40 buyers and 10,000 suppliers using the solution. Yeah. And we only focus on the 40 buyers. So definitely we should put the light on the suppliers on how to communicate that we're going to have this solution, what benefits it is going to bring to the suppliers and oh, do we onboard them smoothly on, on, on the solution. So most of these solutions have supplier portals that allows a lot of things, but definitely we need to make sure that suppliers, I mean, and there are different levels. So first of all, what we try to do is that we segment suppliers in different categories. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. different tiers. Or yeah, exactly. A, B, C, you take the, the strategic ones and uh, medium and, and, and less strategic uh, suppliers, and then have a specific enablement strategy for each of the segments. So for the strategic ones, and I've seen that with a big uh, telco company here in, in Canada recently, they had a really, really good strategy for the strategic one. <clears throat> uh, and and that included connections with the uh, suppliers' backend systems. Yep. So. Yep directly connected with SAP or Oracle on the supplier side to generate the catalogs inside the source-to-based system. Yeah, full integration. Full integration. That really strengthens the relationship with the suppliers as well, and that brings a lot of value from the platform that you're implementing. Especially if you have benefits tied to you know automation or reduction yeah. of FTEs, that sort of thing. Exactly. Um, and have you seen... So what I've, what I've seen a lot is... is Clients or customers will know the importance of supplier enablement, uh, but they won't consider it, and I think you put your finger on it, as a change management Mm -hmm. aspect, right? So uh, it'll be really important to get the suppliers on the platform as quickly as possible to get those benefits, Uh, but we're not considering that they're now part of the ecosystem of our systems, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're now going to be using... Even if it's a cloud system, if I have them logging into a network, yep. I have to consider their experience in my process, yep. right? Whereas before, as soon as I send the PO out, I wash my hands of it, and yep. you know I'm gonna get what I get, and they can figure it out. They can figure out how to enter the data on their on yep. their system. Um, now yes. I have to figure that out, right, up front. And that will bring you the maximum value because if your your strategy 
for spiral moment is strong enough to make them using, for example, PO flip. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody dreams of PO flip, right? If you do that, I mean, suppliers log in, take the PO, acknowledges it, and then convert it into an invoice. Yeah. That means your three-way matching is 100% accurate yeah, yeah. so that means nobody it, it's a touchless process for the invoice so imagine the the the, the ROI of that in terms of of energy time FTEs whatever but that's so focusing on that will probably bring you new sources of, of, of benefits from the implementation of the solution for yeah. sure and and not to, to to our own horn here but I find that's something that having a partner will allow you to do because they've done it with other yeah with with other customers right whereas Internally, you're used to that old method where you send the PO out and you receive an, an invoice in, and you, you figure out how to make <laughs> make the square peg fit into the round hole, right, into into your system. Yeah. Um, yeah. So okay, great. Um, data quality. So data quality is, an, I think, it touches on a bit your your preparation uh, yeah. aspect that you were mentioning earlier, but. And I, actually, I, I will. Fluxim uh, has just issued a, a white paper around like a 50 pages white paper around supplier data quality as a preparation of a, a source to pay implementation okay. project. So I will also send you the link. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> it's, it's and I, honestly, it's one of my favorite topics. So we, it's really underestimated. We've, you've worked for years with an ERP. You look at the supplier data and I'm only talking about supplier data because you have all the other master data and all the garbage that you could imagine in an ERP. Yeah. But it's funny you say that because I was going to, like for data quality, I find you can get away with so-so data for most things, but yeah. not suppliers, right? Not suppliers is the only one. If you look at suppliers' data, honestly, don't implement a source-to-pay system without doing a, a, a supplier data cleansing uh, before. Never do that. Because I mean, I've seen that with client giving me a 60,000 suppliers database that is completely obsolete and not up to date and and, and missing data. Uh, and we were like, oh yes, we realized that in the phone number we just put a specific code to indicate that this supplier is a, an internal company, an intragroup, or whatever. You know, all those rules that you have implemented for years in your ERP and you don't even remember why. Yeah. They are just thrown in your face when you implement your, your that source-based system. So work on your data, cleanse your data, and that takes a lot of time. Yeah. Because cleansing the data is one thing, but you have historical data on your suppliers, you have ongoing POs, invoices, whatever, you have transactions, so you need to close this. Yeah, before you can change it. Before you can out. change it, yeah. And before, it, I mean, quality in, quality out. So um, before you put garbage in your new system, just make sure that your data is the highest quality that you can get yeah. and then implement your system. And would you say that includes as well, uh, you know, the getting your hierarchies okay, right? So having yeah. your main vendor, your ordering <clears throat> addresses, your remittance addresses sorted, right? So that not, you don't have 15 instances of IBM in your system, <laughs> right? Yeah, so the hierarchy for sure, uh, the duplicates, because even if you, 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 you build your IBM ERP in your system, you're probably going to have like 25 different i.b.m, i space e space m, international business machines, whatever. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you should definitely build your ERP. And that also is could be applicable for other kind of data, 
clean your unit of measures. I've yeah. just implemented a, a, a project where we received an interface with 120 unit of measures. I asked okay. the client, how many are you really using in RFPs? To say probably five. Yeah. So why am I receiving 120? Yeah. Because that's each. in the ERP. Yeah. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's put a filter on that. So, yeah, does so that mean the buyer, when he's going to think about tomorrow, day two, when the buyer is going to create an RFP, he's going to have to select within a drop-down list of 120 unit of measures. Yeah. And everybody's going to choose something different, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and I find, like, even in payment terms, uh, payment terms different, different things that are a bit easier, yeah. but I find the big one, the big one is definitely suppliers, right? Like, and that will definitely help you also to raise some business process issues that you, you couldn't identify before. Maybe you're going to realize that someone is using that specific unit of measure but shouldn't, you know? Yeah. So yeah. maybe you, it's also a good opportunity to to make some good business decision to to simplify and streamline things. Yeah. Okay. So I'd, I don't know. I'd, we've gone through the list. I feel like that's the one that's gotten the biggest reaction so far, yeah. but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I'll, I'll get your take on it at the end here. Uh, I've got a few more. Uh, yeah. So system customization. Um, the answer so, is easy there. Yeah, I think we touched a little bit on yeah. it, but no system customization. Okay. Never. Um, Even if I am convinced that X functionality gives me a competitive advantage in my purchasing processes versus my competitors, um, should I make an exception in that case? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good. That's a really good point, but if you look at the vendors you were mentioning at the very beginning at Valois, Krupa, Ariba, they have built their solution and improved their solution like twice twice a year with releases based on their experience and their knowledge of the best practices within all the different verticals. So yeah. if you look at now, most of the providers have solution package for verticals like manufacturing, pharma, uh, mining sector, public sector. If you don't find a capability out of the box in the solution that are that have equipped the biggest company in the world. Yeah. Maybe you should have a deeper look at your process and yeah. and, and find why you're so exceptional. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on that and and sometimes the answer is really a change management issue or a process improvement issue more than a system customization issue. Yeah. Because system customization will cost you a lot in terms of implementation, in terms of maintenance, uh, it's a risk for the future upgrade of the solution. And, yeah. and, and so please avoid system customization, yeah. zero, zero. In one instance, what I saw, and I, f I found this was pretty sharp, is whatever the cost of the customization was, like, yes, okay, we'll, we'll look at it if you think it's a competitive advantage or it's something that's really, really important. But whatever the cost of that customization is, uh, multiply it by 12, and then you still need to have a positive ROI, and then yeah. we'll consider it, right? Yeah, that's good. Uh, so that, that type of rule where, you know, we'll make an exception, but it really needs to be a, a highly justifiable exception for whatever reason. But, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. That, and with cloud systems, you said, right, we're getting to a point where they don't even, those companies don't even allow it anymore uh, as, because they want to be able to provide you upgrades every quarter or yeah. every month or whenever, right? And, and their ability to do that is... Uh, based on the fact that you haven't customized And honestly, the, the capabilities of the leading solutions today in terms of configuration, like out-of-the-box configuration of the systems, gives you really enough 
possibilities of really having a something adapted to your processes. Change management, we touched on a little bit yeah. uh, throughout, right? But uh, how how do you how do you feel we should you should approach change management from the start to, to, to be successful and, and source to pay? So usually I would really recommend so at the services company we usually help our clients in on the change management part, but we just support something that should be uh, driven internally. Yeah. Um, we can give our best tools and practices of 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 different strategies of change management for different populations, including suppliers, uh, so buyers and users. If, if we're talking about a P2P, yeah. uh, that's really different, and suppliers as well. Uh, but definitely, that should come because n that should come from the from the client himself, from the company uh, uh, itself, because that requires to have a strong knowledge of the company culture, context, different people, history, relationship with the, the implementation of a new system, and 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 the type of, of population that are going to be impacted. So that should really be led internally by the client with a dedicated resource and supported by the external like implementation yeah. partner. But yeah. Um, yeah, that's my recommendation on that. Okay. I think you, you touched on something I, I agree with as very much as well, which is the, the identifying your user groups, right? And mm -hmm. depending on the module, these are going to be different, and uh, which ones are going to be your your champions, which you referred yep. to earlier as well, and identifying those and, and taking that into consideration in your deployment strategy and who's going to be your pilot, right? Who's who's going to help you get that snowball growing uh, the fastest? Yeah. Okay. But in one one thing is that. We also, I mean, change management is has been a, always a big deal in, in, in information, information system implementations. But in 2019, I feel that the relationship with the technology is now a bit different than it was like, for example, 10 years before. Um, people will consume the technology really differently. They do it. You know, you know, with smartphone, tablets, in uh, at home, they have a different relationship with the technology. So maybe change management, and I'm not talking about process change, yeah. but really the change. I was doing it with Excel and my email, and I was happy with that. And now today and tomorrow, you're asking me to do that through a system uh, uh, by just giving me a training. Yeah. I think people are more comfortable, and some. If you look at the millennials, for example, yeah. they have a strong appetite for using technology. So maybe change management is a bit easier today uh, for technology implementation than it was five years uh, or ten years ago. Um, and you know, the usage of videos, for example, as a, uh, um, a change management tool is something that you should also really consider. Yeah, and, and kind of using using leading PR practices yeah. in your in your implementation exactly. finally, right? Because yeah. And to, to your your point on millennials, I find that interesting as well because I find it's all it's almost an expectation now yeah. as well, right? It's I expect my corporate buying system to be iPhone friendly, just as any other app I'm downloading personally is, right? So um, I think it, it sets the bar for what type of content you need to have in your system at Go Live, what type of things yeah. you, you need to be doing, right? And so and that I, should all be taken into consideration <clears throat> in your strategy. Yeah, and I was discussing was. A CPO of a, um, a famous um, uh, restaurant company in Quebec 
who told me that he was struggling hiring young buyers because one of the questions they, they asked during the interview is, what technology are you using to manage procurement? Yeah. You know, are you using Ariba, Evalua? Uh, is there a, uh, you know, a, an emerging technology that you're using for to identify new suppliers, whatever? And they didn't have anything. Yeah, they were on Excel. <laughs> yeah, oh, we have Excel and Outlook. Yeah. Is that enough? <laughs> Maybe access database sometimes, right? Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. So, yeah. so now that's a really interesting point, right? Uh, like the S. Because it signals the importance your company puts on procurement yep. as well, right? Yep. So if, if it's a recruiting tool or recruiting uh, yes. uh, tool as well, right? That, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I've never thought of it that way before. All right, la last point, uh, and then I'll, I'll let you go, and thank you for your time, uh, Thierry. Uh, so governance, right, for me is a, a big one as well. So uh, I can have the, the best teams in the world. I can have uh, the best change management strategy. I can have the best deployment plan. Uh, but for me, if, if, uh, if I don't have the proper executive support or the proper governance for the project, uh, I'm going to get into some trouble uh, during the project or not, not be able to do what it is we, we've been tasked to do. Uh, so how do you how do you see governance playing into uh, to source to pay projects and, and how a company should approach that? Yeah, that's that's really a key point as well. You're you're totally right. You need also you need to have the the right sponsorship at the executive level in the company, and you need also to define the good governance architecture of your project. So that means what instance is in charge of what decision. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I've seen too many times in projects, okay, we are, let's have a steering committee every Thursday. That doesn't work. The steering committee is not there to look at the, the UAT logs and, and, you know, and, and see who's doing what and, and where we are in the planning. The steering committee should be there for major milestone of the project and take strategic decision on the orientation of the project. And, and analyze the major risks that have been identified by the project managers. Uh, and on the other side, I've also seen projects where people are getting like nervous and blocked on the project because they feel they have like a big list of issues. Okay, the business is asking for that, the solution provider can't meet the requirements. So everybody's deadlocked, like yeah. deadlocked, pointing at each other. And then you come to a steering committee and you have the strategic vision of a CPO who says, we don't care about that. Let's forget that. Let's move forward with that. And that really can unlock uh, the situation of an implementation uh, of, a, yeah, of a project that, that could be blocked. So finding the right pace also and, and calling the right people at the right moment is really important uh, in terms of governance. So that means having a core project team that is like daily responsible for the good progress of the project with the project manager uh, leading it yeah. and being able to call a steering committee on a, for each major milestone uh, of the project with an executive sponsor able to take decisions. Yeah. And those instances should be decision uh, uh, points, not not just meaning to report information, yeah. information meaning, yeah. and, it, and you can see that even in design sessions, uh, or in steering committees, or in weekly status meetings, sometimes it's just like okay, we share information and that's it. Those points, those meetings should be decision points yeah. always. 
And, and uh, you mentioned the decision points at the steering committee level, but when you touched on the project team, one thing uh, I, I'm sure I'm sure you agree with is uh, empowerment of that project team as well, yeah. right? It's like, so for those big decisions, yes, you have your steering committee, but the, the project team, those people that are there that you've selected, they need to feel like they can they can take decisions on all those small things, right? Exactly. Uh, or else they're going to always want to go back to the business and yeah. you're going to be in this endless cycle of feedback. Yeah, uh, I mean, and that happens on every project. Otherwise, I was talk that's why I was referring to the, uh, the, 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 um, the design sessions. Each time at the end of the design session, you have a parking lot of... Yeah. Like, I don't know, 20, 25 topics that, okay, we couldn't make a decision because we're not in part. And yeah. that shouldn't be the case. Actually, people in that project team should have the power to take a decision on behalf of the company, yeah. on behalf of the procurement department as well, uh, at least so. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've often found it's like an 80-20 type thing, right? Where yeah. come in, take 100% of the decisions, and then go go back to your constituents and, and revise the, the decisions. and. You'll probably have a 20% there where you need to, to revise things or tweak things a little yeah, bit. for sure. But that 80% allows everybody else to keep going on the project, right? So you're yeah. not taking the reverse approach where you say, okay, we're going to start at zero and I'm going to go and talk to everybody and then I'll come back and we can start. And we can change everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, cool. And are there uh, any other topics or critical success factors that we haven't touched on today that you see as being as being super important. I would just mention two things, and, and we, we covered it really uh, uh, really good, I think, during that conversation. Um, preparation is the key. So prepare yourself before the kickoff. Don't wait for the system integrator to come in and bring you all the magics yeah. to do the implementation. There are some things you need to do by yourself to prepare yourself. So prepare your data, prepare your process, prepare your people. Think about your strategy of deployment and don't wait the kickoff because it's already too late, right? And your planning is going to be delayed for sure if you don't do that before. So that's my, my first um, uh, takeaway. And the second takeaway would be, as you mentioned, I really like this approach. Implementation is day one, but then there is day three, day three, day four, and day 15, yeah. right? Always think in advance. Always think two or three steps ahead. Because you can't just have the go live and then think everything's going to work. So that means, for example, your future system administrators, the people that are going to manage the user, the rights, the profiles, the update of the workflows and everything in your system should be involved since the very beginning of the yeah. project. Support they, tickets. Uh, exactly. Yeah. They have to be present in the design sessions because they need to hear what's going on what's going on, and, and why this decision has been made and everything. So prepare for day two since day one. Yeah, fair enough. And while you're saying that, it, it, it lights a, a, a bulb in my head uh, on one point that we didn't touch on, which is uh, documentation, right? And and uh, making sure that it, you have the right level of documentation. Right? Yeah. It's not, you're not documenting every single thing, but at the same time, it's, it's deep enough that you've got your decisions and your rationale and why we did certain things and why we went in certain directions so that you're not Questioning, uh, questioning that, and trying to reverse engineer yeah. all of your decisions uh, after the core project team, whether it be external SIs or, or folks from the business, go back to from whence they came, right? Uh, but yeah, I'd touch on that. Point. And you, you're totally right on that, and I will finish with that because, but, but we could go on. Yeah, for we hour. could yeah. for two hours, but 
and that's key part of our methodology at Fluxim. When we do documentation, we have um, three different parts. We have we call it the RSC methodology, requirement solution configuration. So usually you have a business requirement document and you have a specification. So you have on one hand a technical document with a audit tool is configured, and on the other hand a business requirement document yeah. that gives you the, the vision of the process. But how do you match those two documents? How do you know that this configuration choice uh, answers exactly to the business requirement that has been expressed? So that's why we regroup everything in one single document where we detail the requirement, we propose a solution, a system solution to cover it, and then the last part of it is, okay, oh, should we do that, technically speaking? Okay. What's the configuration we're going to do? Like create a field, give an authorization to some profile, whatever, but there's that missing part in the middle that shouldn't be uh, underestimated. Fair enough. All right. Thanks for, for your time, Sadie. I really appreciate it. Uh, is there is there anything, uh, you know, we, we talked about critical success factors today, but is there anywhere people can get in touch with you or, or uh, see what you're working on, that sort of thing? Is there anything you want to leave with, with the audience? Yeah, definitely. You can follow Fluxim on LinkedIn. We have a uh, pretty good uh, um, activity on LinkedIn. And, uh, yeah, I saw you give away some prizes there a couple uh, months ago for you. I think it was with your... Is that 10,000 followers? The 2, no, only only the 1,000 uh, followers. Okay. Well, Thank I, you for... I, I, feel, I feel it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we, we actually uh, are pretty um, interactive with our community of followers on LinkedIn. So, you can follow Fluxm, uh, F-L-U-X-Y-M, uh, and on LinkedIn. And also our website uh, uh, is pretty good with a lot of content. We, we have a blog. We try to uh, issue and release some white papers um on a yeah on a quarterly basis so uh, yeah awesome thanks again for your time and i'm sure we'll thanks talk a lot, to you again soon thanks for tuning in to pure procurement hosted by yours truly joel colin demers i hope you took away something from today's episode to help you keep fighting the good fight if you have any comments or questions you can stop by my website at jcolindemers.com there's a ton of procurement related articles and resources there for you as well If you like what you see, I'd love to count you as a subscriber. All you need to do that is click the big black button on the top right of the homepage and enter your email and first name. That's it. Thanks again for listening to Pure Procurement. Until next time.